the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear saints of God, the word epiphany means manifestation, and that is precisely what this season of the church here is about, this season that we call epiphany. It is about our Lord Jesus manifesting himself through his humanity, in his divinity, to all the world. So we have last Wednesday on the Feast of the Epiphany, the wise men come to see Jesus, and they bow down to worship him. Or next Wednesday, we have the baptism of our Lord that we celebrate each year, uh, the week after the Epiphany. Or, or we have the Lord's first sign in the wedding of Cana, uh, where he turns the water into wine. Or, or uh, all these miracles that will happen through the month, and it, and it all culminates in the Transfiguration, where, where the majesty of the Lord's divine nature shines through his human nature. So he makes himself known to his disciples, to the people in Judea and the surrounding areas, to the world and even to us. But really, the text we have this morning is not so much a manifestation of our Lord's divine nature as it is a manifestation of his human nature. This account of our Lord Jesus when he's 12 years old in the temple in Jerusalem in fact, the verse that occurs right before our gospel reading in Luke 2 is verse 40, and it goes like this. And the child, Jesus, grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. It is perhaps something for us to stop and consider, because it might be a little bit strange, for us to consider that our Lord Jesus was growing, that he was learning that he started out small and got big, that he was a true human being, just like you and me, except he was, of course, without sin. Jesus would have, Mary would have gone into the room to wake him up, to get him ready for school. He would have sat there at the lamp doing his schoolwork at, at night, learning his alphabet. It is perhaps strange, but it is also wonderful to consider that our Lord Jesus had to learn, just like we do, that he sat next to the other children at the Nazareth school, that he had to take pop quizzes, that if he got an answer wrong, his teacher would give him a B. After all, it's not a sin to not know something, is it? I don't think so. I mean, he would have never been lazy or... He would have never been not diligent about his work, but he would have had to have, he would have to learn these things. He didn't just, he wasn't born knowing everything. He had to learn it. Uh, in fact, the gospel ends, uh, this is Luke chapter 2, verse 52, with the same thing that we had already. It says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus is increasing in these things. And Joseph and Mary would have, would have had to, teach him how to do things, how to walk, how to talk. Can, can you imagine it? The creator of all of the universe, with his, with his little child hands, first grasping a hammer in Joseph's workshop. And Joseph says, now, watch out for your thumb. There's Joseph teaching him. Measure twice. Cut once. <laughs> Righty-tighty. Lefty-loosey. All of these things. Jesus would have learned them and Joseph and Mary would have also taught the Lord Jesus about who he was. 
It would be truly incredible and wonderful to consider sitting around the dining room table with Jesus and Joseph and Mary and Jesus saying, uh, tell me again about the manger. Tell me again how it was with the, with the shepherds who came to visit, what they said. And, and before we go to bed, could we sing that song of the angels again tonight? Or Jesus asking, now why was it again that we had to go down to Egypt? What were the names of the, of the wise men that came to visit? H have you heard from them since then? All of these questions. And there was some stuff that was a bit sensitive. I suppose Joseph would have held off for a while this conversation with Jesus. Son, I have something very important to tell you. I'm not your father. <laughs> In fact, you don't have an earthly father. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us about these conversations. It doesn't tell us when they happened, how they happened, uh, if they happened. This is a bit of conjecture. You recognize that. But, but these things would have, something like them would have happened. And if you'll permit me a little bit of license this morning, I'll take it even one step further, because I suspect that this conversation between Joseph and Jesus about who his father was, happened on the way up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover when Jesus was 12 years old. Son, you're about to be a man now. I've got to tell you this. God is your father, not me. And so they would have gone to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Our Lord Jesus would have been overwhelmed by the things that he's seeing almost forgetful of everything else. God is my father. And now he's beginning to learn, think about this, he's beginning to learn who he is and what he has come to do. This must have been somewhat of a new thing for Jesus. After all, we know in the text that when Mary and Joseph don't find Jesus amongst their friends and relatives, they turn back to go look for him, and it seems like one of the last places they go is the temple. I mean, if this is how Jesus always was growing up, then they would have said, oh, Jesus, he's done it again. He stayed back in the temple. He's sitting, he's sitting there with the teachers. He's studying his Bible like he always does. But it doesn't say that. They look for three days before they find him there in the temple. And then the text says, when Mary and Joseph see Jesus sitting there with the teachers of the scriptures, they are astonished. This is not normal. So we see, awakening in our Lord's mind, the knowledge of precisely who he is, where he's from, and what he's come to do. Imagine Jesus. It says he was asking questions, and they were amazed by it. Imagine some of the questions that he might have been asking. Tell me again about the second psalm he would have asked. About after hearing the words where it says, The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Or imagine what it must have been like when, when our Lord Jesus heard for the first time the words of Isaiah chapter 53. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and our sorrows, and we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace is upon him, 
and by his stripes we are healed. Or can you think of it? When our Lord Jesus heard Psalm 22, knowing that this is him? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With what fresh and opened eyes he would have watched the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, <laughs> the morning and evening burnt offerings, and the teaching of the scriptures about blood, about atonement, about blessing and cursing, about forgiveness and sacrifice, and about the promise of the Messiah. Jesus says of the scriptures, this is 18 years later, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have life, but they are those which testify of me. Jesus knows then that all the scriptures are about himself, but now, 18 years earlier, when he's 12 years old, he's just beginning to see this. So we see the words of our Lord the very first words recorded for us in all of Scripture, and he is speaking from this growing wisdom to his mother and his father. Why were you looking for me, he says? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I am not lost, Jesus says. I'm right at home. I'm right where I should be. I am in the house of my Father. This is who I am, and this is what I have come to do. Perhaps this is an epiphany text, not because it's revealing the divine nature of our Lord to us, but because his own divine nature is being revealed to himself. For Jesus now confesses who his Father is where his house is. And Jesus knows the business of his father's house. Jesus knows the business of the word of God. He knows the business of prayers, and he knows the, businesses, the business of the sacrifices, of the blood spilt to cover sin. Jesus, after all, would be that ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, that is, to take away your sin and to take away my sin and to redeem all of us to the Father. And Jesus is learning this with wonder, that he would be the one to make peace between God and man. What a sober joy this would have brought to our Lord. And what a joy it brings for us. For we too have learned what Jesus learned, that he is the very Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world, the Redeemer, uh, our Redeemer, and our Lord. And this brings us that same joy as well. Joy and peace and comfort and hope. That knowledge brings to us in abundance. So this morning we rejoice. We rejoice at these words of our Lord Jesus that he must be in his Father's house. For he is there for us in the temple and in Jerusalem and on the cross and in the tomb and now at the right hand of the Father to do his Father's business that is to save us. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord.
Amen.